Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. It's awfully good to be here with you all and to have opportunity to speak to you this morning. And I'm looking forward to this time. So uh, it's my privilege to be a part of the CF ministry. Um, I have uh, served on the board of CF, and I've also uh, actually got involved in CF uh, through a friend of mine who invited me to serve on a board. And then I got more and more and more involved and eventually left my business uh, that I started in Virginia and now serve full-time with CEF. So uh, it's a privilege to be here with you. And it's a privilege to uh, be here at Heartland. So um, I spent a little bit of time on your website so I could kind of maybe get to know you just a little bit better. And uh, so one of the things that I saw that I thought was really encouraging was that this church is growing at about 6% a year through the past few years. And that's a tremendous thing. That means God is at work. That means new people are coming. That means you are being effective in your community. And so that is great because, you know, we're in a time when many churches are struggling, and yet God has chosen to to bless the efforts here. I saw that uh, you are getting ready to engage in a building program and that you're going to do Vision Heartland and that it has three phases and that the first phase, which I understand is actually going to be starting next week, is, has to do with your children's ministry in the downstairs area of your church. And that is also tremendous. And that'll be a tremendous thing to be able to reach the next generation. And this morning, we want to focus on the next generation. And why would we choose to focus on the next generation? Well, I have here on my phone the world population meter. And if you were to go to the world population meter, you would find out that right now the population of the world is approximately, because it just keeps moving, 7.983 billion people. That's billion with a B. And that number is growing daily. But it may surprise you to know that the very largest mission field in all the world is the next generation. Because 2.6 billion of those 7.983 billion are under the age of 15. They're the largest mission field in all the world. As it says up here on the screen, they're 33% of the population, but they represent 100% of the future. So that large mission field is also a very fruitful mission field. George Barna tells us that of those who today profess Christ, about 80% came to know Christ before their 15th birthday. Children are open to the gospel. And when I was in business, I certainly would not have neglected 80% of the market. And so 
having a focus on children, having a focus on doing a building program that's going to enhance your children's ministry and enable you to reach more of the next generation is a wonderful thing. So these children, not only are they the largest mission field, the most fruitful mission field, but they are also a major biblical focus. Now, if you were to pick up your Bible, and I challenge you to do this sometime, and go through the Gospels, just the four Gospels, and start circling every time you see a reference to a child, what you'll find is that in just the four Gospels, a little over 100 references to children. The Bible has a lot to say about children. In fact, I'm going to try to illustrate that for you a little bit in sort of a rapid-fire fashion. And the guys in the back, they're going to help me because they're controlling the, uh, the PowerPoint. And we're going to see if we can keep in sync here. So I'll bet that you remember that story in Matthew 18. The disciples said, send the children away. You know what Jesus did? He picked up one of those children. And he said, except you become like a little child and be converted, you will in no way enter the kingdom of heaven. Children model the essence of saving faith. Maybe you remember that story in 2 Kings 5 of that little Syrian girl who gave testimony to Naaman. And Naaman went and dipped in the Jordan River and he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Naaman said, now I know that there's no God except the God of Israel because of the testimony of a child. Maybe you have seen that story of Samuel, who as a young boy answered the call of God and said, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Maybe you have heard the story of David, who as a teenager came on the scene when the Philistine armies were defying the living God, and most of the people were standing on the sidelines just watching what was happening. And as a teenager, David said, is there not a cause? Isn't there something worth living for, something worth dying for? And you remember that he slayed the giant. You see, the Bible has a lot to say about young people and about the next generation. Maybe you remember that story of Josiah, who as an eight-year-old boy came to the throne and turned an entire nation back to God. Maybe you remember the story of Esther, who as a young woman came to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe you re remember the story of Timothy, who from a child learned the scripture from his mother and his grandmother. Maybe you remember the story of Jesus, who at 12 years old was in the temple discoursing with the religious leaders. And surely you remember the story of that little boy who had the loaves and the fish and taught us that little is much when God is in it. 
You see, the Bible has a lot to say about the next generation. The next generation is important because they're the largest mission field. They're important because they're the most fruitful mission field. They're important because they are a major biblical emphasis. But there's another reason. Children, the next generation, are not only a great part of the harvest field, they are a great part of the battlefield. You see, there are battlefields right here in Annandale, right here in Maple Grove, right here in Monticello. In fact, I have a picture of a battlefield. It's called Annandale Elementary School. You say a battlefield? Oh, it's not a battlefield like Afghanistan with bombs and tanks and, or Ukraine and Russia. But you better believe they're casualties. You better believe there's carnage. You better believe that there are children who are in the sights of the evil one and he is seeking whom he may devour. Satan is a strategist of war. And he has his eyes on the next generation. The world understands this. They understand it quite well. In fact, I think that's why we see as much attention right now on curriculum and things like that and what's going to be taught in the schools. But that's not new. It was Vladimir Lenin who said, give me just one generation of youth and I will transform the whole world. It was Adolf Hitler who said, he alone who owns the youth will gain the future. And did not Nebuchadnezzar put his emphasis on the choicest of the youth in the book of Daniel? See, the next generation is in the sights of the enemy. And I believe that in the next generation, we currently see a crisis of absolutely unbelievable proportion. You'll see some things on the screen here. Children are struggling with identity. Thursday night, receive a call from some parents. Here they are, they've been in the church. They have a daughter who says she no longer wants to be a daughter. She wants to be a son. Not only are they struggling with identity, they're struggling with broken homes. 
Do you know that 21% of the children in this country live in a home where there is no male influence? Do you know that 70% of the people who are incarcerated come from broken homes? See, this is a crisis. And it's not seemingly getting any better. It's seemingly getting worse. Children are assaulted by pornography. Do you know that the average child now is exposed to pornography by age 11? And many way before. The latest statistics say that by the time a boy reaches age 18, 97% have been exposed to adult content. This is a crisis of unbelievable proportion. Children are committing suicide. According to the Children's Defense Fund every day in America, Every day, hear me, every day, every 24 hours, never stopping, day after day after day after day, every day, eight children under the age of 15 commit suicide in this country. That's 56 this week. That's 2,920 this year. Not only is there the problem of suicide, there's the problem of arrest every single day. 344 children under the age of 15 are arrested on either a drug crime or a violent crime. Every day. That's 2,400 or so a week. Children are being expelled from school. Children's Defense Fund is the source of this statistic. Every single day, 14,206 students are expelled from school. Makes me wonder, how are there any kids left in school? And an additional 2,920 children drop out of school every single day. Do we wonder why we have the problems that we have? Do we wonder why the crisis that is unfolding right before us is happening? You can see it right here. And these children, they're not hearing about Jesus or the Bible. They're not hearing the message of salvation. In fact, that Annandale Elementary School According to greatschools.org, I looked them up, it's PK through five, they have 950 students. 
If George Barna is right, 80% of those kids will never darken the door of a church. See, it's a crisis. And the next generation is super, super important. Those kids are moving out of the window of opportunity because we call it the 414 window. People in missions have talked for years about the 1040 window. Well, that is geographic. And the 1040 window is more demographic, if you will. It's kids between the ages of four and 14. According to the statistics, once a person reaches age 21, there is only a 6% chance that they will come to Christ. Oh, people are saved at every age. But people are open to the gospel when they're younger. Children are lost and they're headed to a Christless eternity. And that's why we need to be about getting the gospel to the next generation, about discipling them, about raising them up to follow Christ. Now, suppose revival was to come to the United States of America. Now, most of us, would, I think, would say that'd be a good thing. We need revival. Where do you think it would start? How many of you say, you know, John, I think that if revival was to come to the United States, I'm pretty sure it would break out in the nursing homes. Okay, nobody, nobody believes that. Okay, okay, I know, I know. It's going to happen in government. Well, I guess that's not the right answer either. The entertainment industry. Well, you know there was a time in Israel's history that they were in desperate need of revival. And in Psalm 78, the answer was given. You know what that answer was? You need to tell the next generation. If revival is going to come, it's going to come because there's going to be a moving of God in the next generation, and it's going to transform the world. I was very happy when I went to your website and I'm moving around trying to learn as much as I can about Heartland and I click on your Vision Heartland building program and right on the banner, Psalm 78, that the generation to come might know. Amen. And so there is this need to reach the next generation. Now, I'm telling you that there's a battle going on 
for the hearts and minds of the next generation. And there are people who are super, super, super serious about winning over children. Maybe you saw this, but the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus put out a song. That song had this title, We're Coming for Your Children. Listen to some of the lyrics of this song. We'll convert your children. Happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you'll barely notice it. We'll convert your children. We'll make them tolerant and fair. Just like you worried, they'll change their group of friends. You won't approve of where they go at night. You'll be disgusted when they start learning things online that you kept far from their sight. We'll convert your children, yes we will, reaching one and all. There's really no escaping it. We're coming for them. We're coming for your children. You see, there is absolutely no question that children are under assault. They are the greatest mission field. They are the most open mission field. They are a biblical focus. They are a battlefield. And the enemy is very, very focused on the next generation. And the church must focus on the next generation. So Psalm 78, I'd like to draw your attention there for just a a moment or two and point out a few things. And we'll uh, read the passage first, which I think might be the slide before there, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. I see four things that I want to share with you pretty quickly. Number one, the verb would be proclaim. The verse says that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born. We need to be proclaiming the gospel to the next generation. That's why when I see that you are having a fall celebration, when you are having a WANA, when you are doing Good News Club at Annandale, when you are doing a VBS, I applaud that. You're proclaiming to the next generation. But you know what it says? Even the children yet to be born. That world population meter, 
says that today, 350,000 babies will be born somewhere around the world. Just today. You know what? The job of reaching the next generation is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger every day. All of you know John 3.16. If we wanted to say it together, we could, but it just says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Normally takes me about 10 seconds to say that verse. And in that 10 seconds, somewhere around this world, 18 people entered eternity. Every 10 seconds, one after the other, after the other. So the job of proclaiming, not only to the next generation, but to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth is a huge, huge responsibility. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Could I be very bold and say that verse says that if I'm not fishing, I'm not following. Do you see the multitudes as Jesus saw them? Earlier this morning, we read from Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read those verses again. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. This sounds like a normal day in the life of Jesus, does it not? Notice what it says next. Seeing the multitudes... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So I have a question for us this morning. Do we see the multitudes the way Jesus sees them? It says here that he had compassion on them. That word compassion is a Greek word, splagna. It refers to your stomach or to your intestines. You say, you got to help me here. <laughs> help me. All right. Every person in this room has probably had this experience. At some time, you received some news. That news was devastating. It was tragic. And when you received it, you may have even said, it was like somebody just hit me in the gut. 
Somebody kicked me in the stomach. You know what this passage is saying? That when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was physically moved by what he saw. It struck him. Why? Because it says that they were distressed. That little word distressed means torn apart. You think our society looks a little torn apart? Divided? I had the opportunity not long ago to be visiting a school, kind of a unique school, because this school actually was all the way from kindergarten to 12th grade, all in the same building. No elementary, primary, high school, all in the same building. Now, I know that Annandale over here, they have them all on the same campus, but they don't have them at the same building. These are all in the same building. I was there to meet with the principal. He was late to the meeting, about 45 minutes late. He came in and he apologized for being late and he explained. He said, well, I had to expel one of our seniors. This morning she brought her water bottle to school full of vodka. And I said, that's tragic. He said something to me I'll never forget. He said, that's not the tragedy. Well, that made me curious what the tragedy was. And he said, you see, we're school kindergarten through 12th grade. And he said, after I expelled that young lady, I went down to the kindergarten and I explained to her daughter, I just expelled your mother. Wow. You talk about a society that is torn apart. It is distressed. It is dispirited. That word means helpless. There's no hope apart from Christ. Saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Do we see people this way? Unfortunately, sometimes we see sinners with indignation. But when Jesus saw them, he was moved with compassion. And it moved him to prayer because it says, therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this because that prayer to me is not the logical prayer that he would have prayed. He didn't seem to be so concerned as to whether the lost would come, he said, you better pray that the saved will go. 
And isn't that the problem that we have sometimes? Getting people to go. It's wonderful that we have many, many missionaries here today. But I'll guarantee you that if you went to every single mission agency that is represented here, they all have the same challenge. We need more workers. See, Vision Heartland is about proclamation. And if I remember correctly, in a 15-mile radius, there are 80,000 people who need to hear the gospel. But that requires proclamation. But we don't want to stop at proclamation because the next part of Psalm 78 gives us another verb, and that verb is save. That they should put their confidence in God. We want to go beyond just declaring the gospel. We want people to come to the point that they understand and embrace the gospel and they put their confidence in God. That they are transformed by the power of the gospel. That's the whole goal. Not only do we want to see those people put their confidence in God, we want to go to the third one, and that is disciple. That they would not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We want them to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, and then begin to grow. So if you're here today, or maybe these people are not actually in here right now, but you're one of the people at Heartland that you invest in the next generation, you work with the Awana, you work with the children's Sunday school, you work with the nursery. Those folks are heroes. They're working with the next generation. They're ensuring the long-term growth and health of Heartland. Sometimes people ask me, how many, what, what people in our church should get CF training? And I have a simple answer to that. The people that know a child. Because if you know a child, wouldn't it be really good if you knew how to tell that child about Jesus? Whether that child be your neighbor or your grandson or your granddaughter or the child of somebody that you work with, and I'll tell you something else. If you know how to tell a child, you can tell an adult. The fourth one is multiply. It says that the children should arise and tell them to their children. People who hear the gospel, respond to the gospel, grow in the gospel, and then multiply. That is full circle ministry. Now, as I close this morning, I want to tell you a little story. I want you to go all the way back with me to 1886. There was a man 
who was trying to develop a product to help people with their health issues. And he worked in his laboratory and he would come up with different things to, to try and then he would go out and he would go to people and he would, he would say, would you try this? And he would pour a little bit in the cup and he'd sell it to them for a nickel. And the first year, his gross revenue was $50. Now, $50 was a lot of money back then, but $50. The only problem was his expenses were $70. And he lost 20 bucks. But he believed in his product. He kept working. Now, I'd like to advance to 2022. Because today, somewhere around the world, over a billion people will partake of that product. You know it as Coca-Cola. And today, 94% of the world's population recognizes the Coca-Cola logo. Now, let me tell you a related story about a young man who wanted to see the world. He wanted to go to some of the remotest places in all the world and just see it. He knew that once he got married and had kids, no way he's going to be going on those trips. So he and his buddy set out, and they began visiting these remote villages. And they came across one of them where they ran into some missionaries who were working on some language stuff, and they went with them to a remote village, and they asked the people, do you know where we come from? They didn't know. Do you know where the rain comes from? They didn't know. Do you know what happens when we die? No one's ever told us. And the chief of that little village invited those people to stay and have a meal with them. And they sat on the ground. And the chief went and he came back and he put in front of them a Coca-Cola. And it was at that instant that I realized that a bottling company in Atlanta, Georgia has done a better message, a better job of getting its message to the ends of the earth than the church of Jesus Christ. And my friends, that cannot be acceptable to us. We must do what we can while we can, with all that we have, so that men and women, boys and girls, can hear the name of Jesus, that name which is above every name, and that name in which alone is salvation, so that they can be saved, discipled, and begin to multiply. So I trust that this morning, 
this emphasis on the next generation can be a challenge to do more and an encouragement to continue what you're already doing. Thank you.